Hello, this is Jeff Jackway, and this is my chapter on As the Story Grows. What would you say you do here? Have a good time all the time. Dominate. Who's got it better than us? Nobody! What in God's holy name are you blathering about? Well, I'll tell you what I'm blathering about. I've got information, man. I want you to be realistic. What do you love about music? I am being realistic. As the story grows. I always want to be part of a small rebellion. You got this, Travis. Make him wait for it. You say people in the states mess up your last name. So, are you not originally from uh, the states? Oh no! I yeah, I'm originally from uh, uh, born in California, 1976, okay. about uh, 30 okay. miles outside of Los Angeles. Gotcha. What, what was growing up like for you? Um, let's see. Uh, growing up in, um, you know, I growing up, I guess, really small in the late 70s, uh, Southern California. Uh, you definitely have. Um, you're surrounded by a lot of different cultures. You have the own, your, you know, California culture with, uh, I think at that time it was a lot of, uh, classic rock. Um, mm -hmm. uh, I, I grew up in a, since Los Angeles is a very diverse community, you just are, you grew up around a lot of different things. But I think, um, but yeah, growing up in, um, Los Angeles specifically, you were just exposed to a lot of different cultures. Um, a lot of Hispanic culture, um, uh, car culture, graffiti culture, uh, gang culture, unfortunately. Uh, you're um, also surrounded by a really um, dynamic food um, and just a, a whole variety of different people. So growing up, I guess, in a real, uh, I don't know, pluralistic culture, it, um, yeah, it, it really defined me a lot as a kid as, as opposed to being um, from another part of the country. Yeah. Um, music, uh, musically, uh, you're just hearing all sorts of music from hip hop to classic rock to, um, uh, punk, of course, and, and, and hardcore. Um, uh, and growing up, um, outside uh, of Los Angeles, the area I grew up in was, um, primarily popular with skateboarders. A lot of the pros would come through and skateboard and get a lot of photos from magazines. And so it, um, at this time, I, this was maybe all before I was eight years old. I still had a skateboard and was out there, you know, trying to, trying to keep up the best you can. Um, so uh, like a lot of other people's story in this community, um, 
a lot of it comes from um, um, around that time in the early days it was skateboarding and um and also um uh like my parents split when I was eight, but before that before um, that time uh my family uh my parents had a huge record collection and um just a record player, some really you know mid sized speakers. And huge headphones with like you know fifty foot coil that you can walk around. Yeah. <laughs> um, and um, in that collection uh, was everything. Um, some of the things I remember most was um, Motown. Uh, there was a full Motown collection. Um, a lot of funk. Uh, also um, a lot of uh, folk and folk rock. Um, a lot of psychedelic rock. Uh, so um, a lot of just. Different musical, uh, I guess, just things that were going on back then. But as, you know, an eight-year-old kid, you're kind of like clueless to the whole, like, uh, um, you know, music scene and, and all the inner workings and, and just how it kind of all goes down. But um, yeah. but I remember, like, right before my parents split, they took me to my first concert ever. And it was at the Los Angeles Coliseum, uh, which uh, to see Chicago, uh, with Peter Sagan. Wow. And I was, you know... Uh, uh, yeah, going to that, it was just like seeing live music and, and being exposed to that um, as an eight-year-old. It's just, you know, it, it just has a really um, profound effect on you. Um, so yeah. I think I think especially being from Los Angeles during like late 80s, and I mean, I'm sorry, I apologize, I'm like kind of late 70s, um, 80s, uh, there's just a lot of music. And then, of course, the whole dog count culture is... Um, just kind of infiltrating everywhere, Thrasher Magazine. Um, you're seeing this everywhere you go skate. Um, I used to have a membership card to the first skate park called Pipeline Skate Park out in Upland, California, um, and just, you know, kind of cutting my teeth in, in that whole realm. Um, I was really into um, skateboarding, but I was more into surfing. So a lot of my time, especially during unashamed days or my teens and late teens, it, it would be more in the surfing realm. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. So skateboarding was kind of your intro into like uh, punk and punk culture as well. Um, um, yeah, I mean, um, I guess again, coming from being an LA kid, you just have a skateboard. You're not thinking of it like, um, oh, you know, I'm a skater. Um, it's just um, it's a mode for transportation before you get a car, and if you know, bike. Um, if if you don't have a bike, or I don't know, to me, it's way more fun than than riding a bicycle. Um, so, uh, yeah. so yeah. Um, um, uh, naturally, yeah, skateboarding um, was a was a part of that in the culture. But for myself, um, I know in like transitioning like um, into uh, you know 1984, 85, I just uh, do, you know you have a, a couple record shops around you can go to and you can browse. Of course, like uh, before these were pre-internet days when the record yeah. shop was like what you had, you know. Um, so. Um, you would a lot go by just albums and you can just go through racks of all sorts of different music. And I think it was right around 10 years old, I gravitated to hip hop and rap. And, um, that was, um, back in the days of more like Eric B and Rakim, Public Enemy, uh, Cool G Rap and Polo, Boogie Down Productions, um, X Clan, some of these like, um, just whole, uh, Native Tongue, De La Soul, Tribe Called Quest, yeah. Jungle Brothers. All of that was just, um, all I listened to um, through early junior high, and and that was pretty much what I you know would would that was all I had playing and spinning. Um, 
uh, it, my introduction kind of in transition out of that was um, in 1991, uh, my, I saw that uh, there was a concert going to be happening in Irvine at Irvine Meadows and Amphitheater. And it was a, a, a band I really wanted to see. It was a public enemy. And they were also playing with uh, Anthrax and Primus. And, oh, wow. and so uh, I was uh, 14 years old and convinced my mom, like, you know, did chores. You know, I was like, Mom, drive me to the show. Like, I want to go see, like, Public Enemy. I'm just, you know, had my Public Enemy jacket, my, like, you know, medallion around my neck. Like, <laughs> kid just walking in, you know, 14 years old. And uh, my mom drove me and, and two friends dropped us off in the parking lot and just was like, all right, I'll pick you up, you know, 10.30, like, right here. Um, and that was kind of just um, a real eye-opening experience. I mean, right from the parking lot, you see a lot of, um, again, diversity of people and of scenes, and it was all intermingling. And, and the show, as you can probably imagine, was just, like, a bit surreal because you're going from so many different, like, genres but at the same time mm-hmm. people who mastered their genre of music and um just are are the defining bands for that so um seeing all that as a 14 year old just left left a pretty strong impact on me um yeah, especially at that time was in the uh junior high uh, school band playing alto saxophone i was maybe like third chair so it wasn't really good and i saw the drummers playing and i was like man i you know I wouldn't want to play drums. Drums seems like like that. So I uh, had a quick conversation with a music teacher. He said, okay, come after school. I just want to like, try out your rhythm. Um, sat down in the chair. He's like, okay, like here's a rhythm pattern. Uh, go ahead and play it. And um, I played it terribly. And he looks, he looks straight at me and he says, you know what? You're never going to do anything in music. So just remember, um, you might want to go on a different career path. Uh, for your life. Wow. And I was like, oh, okay. Uh, so I think that immediately made me angry because <laughs> being such a fan of music. And so, uh, <laughs> so I think that, that is what really gave, like, as a young, you know, junior high kid a push to start listening to bands like, you know, Bad Brains. And um, I think Bad Brains was the biggest transition uh, for me because, um, hearing these guys that's the first time I heard Bad Brains I thought they were a reggae band and so yeah. um, <laughs> and then like you listen and then you're like whoa and all of a sudden they they, they change it up really quick and, and they and they kind of pull you into what they're doing and what they're talking about and so I know for um, I, I was just one of those kids and Bad Brains was one of those bands that was transitioned into that whole world um, of uh, of hardcore and like punk rock and, and all of that um, yeah, just uh, just, and then from there it was just going to the record store and, and trying to find what you could from that genre. Talking, talking. Hopefully the the person running the record store was smart enough to know and how to get these albums at the time, and 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 so that was just a big part of it. But also a lot of it was pre- pretty random um, of what they had in stock at the time as well. Did you pick up another instrument after uh, the music teacher told you you'd never uh, play music? <laughs> <laughs> So, of course, like, with hip-hop, I, I always, you know, had that vision, like, I wanted to be a rapper. I wanted to be, like, an MC. And so um, <laughs> so I think, like, holding a microphone was always, and, and doing something on the stage and saying something meaningful was always, like, a, 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 a something that was, 
I don't know if it was a fantasy or, but it wasn't something I was completely driven to do. Um, but one okay. thing I de- one thing I did happen once I got um, skating, hardcore, um, and uh, uh, punk music. I um, met, of course, like a lot of us, had met um, others that were going to a local church, and um, they invited me to their church because you know, I don't know, just uh, um, I wasn't really into a party lifestyle, and I, I was more into surfing than sports. And plus, there were a lot of beautiful girls there. Yeah. Like, when you're young, you're like, oh, okay, like, <laughs> this sounds like a fun time. Like, uh, let's all go hang out. And, and so um, I started going to, to a, a local church with a group of friends. And it was one of, uh, one of like, you know, again, I was, um, I think this was, I was 15. Um, yeah, 15, late, late 15, 16. And um, uh, one of the older guys at the church just hands me a mixtape, a cassette tape. And I was like, okay, what's this? He's like, well, listen to this. And so um, from there it was, I really started honing in on uh, a lot of these different bands. Um, the, on the tape was bands I had heard before, like uh, Descendants, Black Flag. Um, those were kind of uh, a lot of uh, kind of default L.A. bands, of course. But mm-hmm. also, on, also on there was like um, Chain of Strength, Minor Threat, Scattered Few, The Crucified, uh, um... Uh, shoot, yeah. So a lot of just a lot of mix of stuff I had yeah. and hadn't heard, and, I, and that's how a lot of it worked back there. A friend would hand you a physical copy of a cassette tape and say, "Hey, I made this for you," and that was kind of like yeah. guys giving each other flowers. I think <laughs> <laughs> that is the best description ever, uh, because it's true. <laughs> it's true, and and I think that 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 was all. It's a very sweet gesture to receive a mixtape, but it's not like love songs, you know. Or like <laughs> it's like yeah. just like brutal, like brutal music, and and fast, and and heavy, and slow, and like you know, clean, or just, I don't know, just like take your pick. Um, but one, some of the bands on there, and so I think uh, at that time I was already like. Moving in the straight edge direction, I, I didn't want to. I didn't want to choose to be self-destructive with my life. Um, I was already like hanging out with some other positive friends who were also like not so like self-destructive partiers, and so mm-hmm. we were just you know all just skating and into music and trading music back and forth. Um, and then on that tape, of course, like. Uh, you know, you, you hear Christian music back then, and of course, um, I, I, I wasn't raised in a Christian home. Um, I don't, uh, I wasn't raised in a church. Um, I'm more, uh, right at this transitionary period of 14 to 15, with a super and a straight edge as for clean living. And, um, and then that's when I got introduced to bands like Scattered Few, Crucified, and also this other band that really made an impact on me. Um, uh, they were on a Alarma, it was called Nobody Special.
and the singer, his name was a Pat Nobody, and it was this, this very um, obscure, uh, maybe like lesser known group at the time. But back then, um, I think a lot of like uh, people would re- remember that that um, artist and that band. Um, just very like unapologetic Christian punk rock, and um, mm-hmm. and, and that that's uh, that was very refreshing. And to me, it also uh, kind of was the next step. I saw kind of straight edge, even at that time, being some, a good like moral foundation for living. But I think like my heart wanted more and my, my soul wanted more than that. And so that's when I found these other bands that were playing that just shredded. And I was like, yeah, where, where can, um, where can, where can we see these bands? And so of course, being, being in Southern California, um, if you knew someone who drove, you try to catch a ride with them or their parents might drive you to shows. And these aren't, these aren't, um, you know, church uh, shows at churches or, um, things like that. These are all just shows everywhere. They're um, all kinds of different venues, you name it. And um, and then once I think around 16 years old started, that's when you were able to. I, I was able to drive, and um, um, again, I was never a, a good high school student um, or fit in with high school necessarily. So I'm kind of like you know that first hardcore punk outcast side, but. Yeah. Um, but once you're able to drive in Southern California, you can really get around to a lot of different counties and see a lot of different music being played. And, and back then, it was um, three to five dollar shows. You can see uh, three bands play. Um, it was always, you know, most of the time it was live, you know, live, rough, um, funny things would happen. But that was part of the whole charm of it, um, at least to myself. So, were you in bands before Unashamed? So yeah, the first band I was in was um, again uh, the the guy who gave me that mixtape at this church. Um, he uh, he was like, hey, like there's like five of us and let's start a band. I'm like, well, I don't really know how to play any instrument, but um, um, maybe if like you give me a, like a, a guitar, I could try to learn some basic stuff. And he gave me a, um, this like you know not like some like super fancy Stratocaster, but he handed me, like, you know, probably pretty run-of-the-mill Fender Stratocaster, and I took it back to my house where I had had this um, a karaoke machine, like, really small child's one, and yeah. um, he, gave, he gave me two cores and a distortion pedal, and I was able to hook it up to this karaoke machine and, and get it working and figure it out. And so from there, I just, you know, spent a lot of time and hours learning how to play like basic rhythms and power chords first and then you know kind of going from there um that that was because of that um i was already playing some acoustic guitar like chords like you know the basic kind of g you know c and d um i could do that but in terms of like power chords and quick strumming and playing uh more punk rock music that that took a lot more practice so i uh, Again, just try to get my skills up to par. And then um, he, at the church that uh, um, I was never, um, I never like, became a member of anything, uh, but when we were out going to this church, he was friends with the janitor. And so he all hooked it up to where the janitor would let us into a room like Friday nights, late at night. Um, and we would just practice and start playing. And so I would take this karaoke machine and this Fender Stratocaster, and like just five friends of us would um, we'd get together and um, 
the first name, the first band I was in, the name was Belly Flop. Belly Flop. Yeah. And um, Belly Flop. And then we play like backyard shows and we just try to like, write a set of music. Um, it was at that time, like, there was one, like, we would kind of switch instruments, too, once, because, yeah, yeah, we, like, switch instruments. So, um, I'd play guitar, and then I would jump over for drums on two songs, so I learned how to play the drums a little bit, and then the singer wanted to play guitar, so then I, I, was one song, I would grab the microphone, and then sing, and so it was kind of like, we were all learning how to play these instruments, and, um, just because they were accessible and around to us, um, and so that, that's kind of my first entrance into playing in a band. Um, from there, uh, three of the guys and myself would go on to form a, a, a band called Sound. And then also we would change it up. Um, one member left, and or, I'm sorry, five of us, one member left, and then we would become uh, Never Alone. Was this all kind of in that hardcore genre? Um, yeah, it was definitely uh, punk, uh, more like punk rock, uh, clean style, like Descendants or Black Flag sounding. Um, not so um, heavy on the guitars, or, uh, no hardcore breakdowns or or um, anything like that. But um, it was it, it definitely had hardcore mixed in, but it was just more punk hardcore band. Um, so from there, um, yeah. So uh, that that was my kind of like first band. Um, again, when you're not partying, you can um, create all sorts of fun stuff with friends, you know, and have a good time doing it. <laughs> Still, yeah. that's not not destructive you know so uh, that yeah. that was our that that was our outlet and um yeah and so that that was where i started cutting my teeth a little bit and saying hey you know i kind of like playing and uh we never played just just backyard stuff but at the same time um we were all going to shows we were all just fans of the music that was going on um at this time there in in southern california there was just music every weekend and of course, it was before the internet, so you have um, word of mouth, uh, flyers, um, a lot of okay, the record shops were the place that you could just distribute flyers and go find out where shows were. Um, a lot of times, there was so many shows going on, um, it was hard to choose uh, between them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it was like very, very uh, readily available to 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 just go out there and experience music. Um, at, um, at the same time, in Los Angeles, you have the big bands, you know, um, the town I grew up in, uh, the bass player for Van Halen, I think, still lives there. So it's like, at the same time, you have, like, this whole uh, uh, music industry giant L.A. Capitol Records building um, industry, but all of this was just completely off the radar in most random places. Um, this just shows happening, and so... A lot of times there were, uh, um, you would call someone's answering machine and they would sort of have a list of shows. Um, or at when you're at shows, naturally you just become friends with people and then keeping in contact with them, you kind of tell each other where the shows were and what was going on. So it's just really good community and network of people um, because that's just, you know, how it worked before uh, just kind of the pre-internet. Yeah, so I, I know you're not the original vocalist for Unashamed, so how did you uh, hook up with, the, those guys just going to shows again in, in southern california you see the same people uh, at the same show so there were some shows like you could go see the crucified play and there was kind of like the more metal thrash kind of like guys but then on this other spectrum you could go see a band like uh, 
raspberry jam or a black and white world or uh and it was, but then at the same time you'd see the same people at all these different shows and so from there um uh i i first met at a crucified show i had met bobby um and just from you know i, I think i was wearing you know youth of today shirt and even on a crucified show back um this was you know 92 you you know you would stand out. There wasn't a lot of people wearing mm-hmm. chain of chain of strength shirts or you know sure, yeah. like, like like claiming that like that hard in that scene you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so um, so the, so like naturally you you would gravitate just by what shirt you were like sporting and you know kind of claiming. <laughs> and so yeah. um, or just representing. And so um, so from that I, I met Bobby and. Um, and then just you would just see people at shows just um, randomly, and then um, you know um, I, I I lived about uh, like I, I lived 35 minutes from downtown Los Angeles, and then about 35 minutes from the coastline, and um, I was an unstone avid surfer, and so going surfing as soon as I got in the car, it was just all about surfing and music, kind of get through high school, <laughs> and so. Um, so I would basically go down to Huntington Beach, and um, I would just go surfing, and then I would stop by a record store that's right on Beach Boulevard called Vinyl Solutions, and it's just this little tucked-in um, record shop. In fact, I'm not sure it's still there. Um, I haven't been down there in a couple years. Um, however, uh, this was like the like punk hardcore record shop to go to if you wanted anything that was going on then or now this was the place to go to. And so um, I went in one day to just look through uh, the racks and see what was available, and I saw a flyer for uh, a a show that was going on just around the corner in Huntington Beach from the record shop. And um, it was unashamed, outnumbered, and focused. And I remember I had seen Focused play open up one show for Crucified, and um, at the same time, I, I wasn't from Orange County. Um, I, I didn't grow up with any of them. Um, again, I kind of came in as an outsider into their whole kind of world and, and scene. Um, but in Los Angeles, um, yeah, it was just a bit different, I guess, yeah, coming into that. So um, so going going and seeing um, – so I, I get this flyer, and I'm like unashamed, outnumbered, focused, um, being from L.A., there was another um, Christian hardcore band that I had a demo tape of before I had Focus. And I'm not, like, trying to, like, claim that they were the starters or anything, but it was a band called Hold True. And there was one show okay. in particular. It, it was Crucified, Hold True, and Focus. And it was Hold True's last show. And they were a band from my, my neighborhood uh, from, uh, out near Chino, um, in the San Gabriel Valley of, of uh, yeah, Los Angeles. And so the, all these, so, so I guess um, so I was like, oh, sweet, like, Focus is going to headline a show these other bands are going to play. And so um, I got a group of friends together, and I remember I'd been driving for, like, two months, and uh, went surfing, and then we just went over to the show, and I, it was at a church, and it was three bucks to get in, I think, and you, you paid three bucks, and you walk into this church, and... All I remember hearing was this god awful feedback, from, <laughs> and I was just like, 
I immediately, I didn't see anything. I could just feel it coming out of this church chapel. It wasn't a side room. It was from the main chapel with the pews. And I, I immediately, I, those tones resonated with me, and I immediately felt like this is where I belong. And I walk into this chapel, and I look, and I see unashamed um, with their first singer, Dave Bonson. I see him performing with unashamed, going into basically a convulsive fit. Mm. And it's just like chaos. And there's maybe 20, 30 people there tops. And again, um, I knew maybe a quarter of the people there from other shows, but I know everyone else was just kind of uh, new, was new. And so um, it was at that moment I was just like, yeah, after going to so many shows at different pockets around Southern California, I just felt like this is something that, that really registered and resonated with me as a 16-year-old. So what led you to joining the band? So, yeah, after... Um, so... After that show, there was another show, another show, and, and so um, I think there were maybe like three shows. And so with the band I was playing in at the time, we were called Sound, and it was just this, again, it's the same little group of guys that I had um, been in my first band with, just kind of cutting keys. And so um, we went to this uh, this show, and well, our drummer had just quit, and I was like. I really like. I remember feeling at. Uh, I remember feeling a very, um, yeah, strong feeling like I really want to be a part of this and I really want to participate in in what's going on um, with, with all of this group because <laughs> there was a bit of rowdiness to it um, and, and that that was very appealing, especially in in um, yeah yeah. Um, anyway, I went to one show that the show was. Um, Bloodshed, when they were 13 and 14. Mm-hmm. Plank, Plank Eye, Unashamed, Outnumbered, and Focused. And there were probably about, like, 75 people there. And I remember, like, oh, whoa, like, these shows, like, doubled in size already. <laughs> like, you know, it's registering with other people, too. And so, um, mm-hmm. so at the time, I was just always trying to find a drummer. I was always on time. Hey, do you play drums? You play drums? Like, I was just wanted to participate in what was going on. Um, and uh, went up and talked to uh, Eric Ballmer uh, from Outnumbered, who would later get in, be in Plank Eye. Mm-hmm. And he was like, oh, you're looking for a drummer? I'm like, yeah, man, can you just, like, before you guys play, like, say, um, hey, this guy's looking for a drummer? And he's like, well, um, why don't you just come up on the stage and tell everybody yourself? And, and I was like, uh, all right. And so right before Outnumbered played, he gives me the microphone, and he's just like, hey, this guy's looking for a drummer. And I get the microphone, and all of a sudden, I'm standing in front of people and Outnumbered setting up. And um, I just go, you know, hi, um, my name's Jeff, and I have a band together, and we're looking for a drummer. Let me know. <laughs> and then I would get off the stage and then uh, talk to a couple people everything, like get numbers and it was, you know, talk to a couple people and nothing was materializing, nothing was working out so the next show um, there may be like a couple shows after that um, uh, Unashamed was playing 
And um, it was one of the first shows I think Ignite played. And um, they're all there, and they, um, I think, uh, one of the bands gave up some time on their set so Ignite could squeeze in. And uh, this was Please Only Ignite. And so it was like, uh, like okay, I, but I was still wanting to participate so bad. And so I remember um, I kind of talked to Dave Lloydson. Um, I, I don't know how Dave Bonson left and Dave Lloydson picked up vocal duties, but after the start okay. of the show, uh, after just going to shows, um, I was just meeting kind of new Dave, and then we started skating a little bit. And so, like, he uh, he came up to me and was like, hey, you sound like drummer yet? And I was like, no. And he's like, oh, well, let's try again. So I'm assuming played like that. And Dave's like, hey, come on up. And I'm like, all right. So I get the microphone, and I'm like, hey, everybody, I'm looking for a drummer. Um, if you play drums and want to, you know, play in a band, uh, you know, kind of play Let's play. <laughs> and so, so then I get off the stage on over there, and then um, the show would continue. And, um, and yeah, so uh, uh, some time went by, and I was just about, um, I entered into my senior year of high school, and um, I had um, just started working at a, and I was like, well, what am I going to do after high school? You know, what do you, I, I was barely graduating high school and wasn't, didn't really have a plan. And so um, a friend of mine named Dave Wind, he asked me, like, hey, do you want to come work at this uh, coffee shop that I work at? And I'm like, okay, that, sure. So started working at this coffee shop, and it was me and him and um, Scott Saletta. And we all worked at this coffee shop together. And so we would make coffee, and that's when I met Scott Saletta. And at the time, um, he was living with uh, with James, James Anthony. And um, so... Uh, through that and just kind of like hanging out with those guys a little bit. My friend Dave Wynn was just like, hey, I heard Unashamed. Uh, Dave's going to leave Unashamed and uh, would you be interested in like trying out? And I was like, well, I've never sang hardcore before. Um, I was okay on guitar and could, you know, kind of play drums, but um, I never try like singing full-on. And then um, I remember at a show, Dave Lorenzen came up and he said, hey, I'm going to be leaving the band. I want to go travel. I want to move to, ne- or, uh, go travel to Nepal. And um, I don't want to be in the band anymore. Would you want to try out? So I said, well, yeah, like, when's the date? So um, Unashamed had a practice. And um, it was on, I think it was, yeah, January 1st, or like 1994, or it might have been like December 1993, right in there. We uh, I met with the band in a, at the bass player at the time, Shane, his garage, um, tried out, and they were like, "We do you want to be in the band?" <laughs> and I was like, "What?" They're like, "Yeah, do you want to um, do you want to take over vocal duties for the band?" And I just remember thinking, like, like, uh, I mean, it was already going. Like the scene, there, the scene everything that was happening was already happening. So I kind of already, you know, I could already see what I'd be entering into. And and from my perspective, filling, you know, the shoes of Dave Lorton was that, uh, like, well, like, again, he was um, very influential to me growing up. And I was a fan of the band before I was in it. And so um, it was, it, um, they were like, okay, let's play some shows. And so um, the first, I played um, back-to-back weekends. My first two shows were out in Riverside, California. Um, members of the band of Voodoo Glow Skulls 
owned a record shop and they had this little spot in the back where they put on shows. And so this was, um, this was my first shows. Um, at that time, 75% of unashamed shows were in, not like in churches. It, it was not like a, a church dominant thing. That, that would come after. Uh, we, there were church shows. However, the, one of the things that attracted me to the band were like, these guys weren't just like, these guys were playing legit shows. This was like a legit hardcore band. I'd seen them mm-hmm. play with, you know, Function, Mean Season. Um, I'd seen them play with just like, you know, and, and these shows, man, they were, they were not nice. <laughs> they were not nice to, to Christians <laughs> before I was in the band. Um, it was, it was, uh, yeah, it was not nice. That's all I, I mean, I can elaborate, but, um, it was just a very hostile environment towards Christians, but that at the same time motivated us because, you know, in, in the hardcore and punk realm, these, these bands are telling you to take a stand for what you believe in, speak up. And so that, that yeah. was, the, that, that, that was the spirit of, of hardcore that we celebrated. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so yeah. So, so from there, um, I, I played these shows and, and would play these shows and just try to figure it out, you know, like I was making it up as I went along. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, um, played a couple shows. Everything's going good. Um, we got a, a, a call from, um, to record on a compilation. And we, um, this was before silence. Um, actually, this was before, um, actually, I'm, I'm probably skipping ahead a little bit. Um, there's probably more before that. Um, so, uh, Focused had just, Focused, I remember Focused and Plank Eye had just signed with Tooth and Nail. And at the time, all the bands had demo tapes, which was rad. Like, if you had a demo tape, or you could go see a band and get a demo tape, that was a big deal. That, like, started to separate bands, like, oh, we're serious, we're going to record, even if it's a four-track recording. And so, um, so I had, of course, all the demo demo tapes and um, go on the shows, you know, participate, sing along, just um, just have a, a blast and um, really really good times. Um, uh, we were going to play a show in Long Beach one night, and I remember um, I was working at the cafe again with uh, Scott and um, my friend Dave Wynn, and I had like a hundred and three degree temperature uh, fever. I was just sick. And we were supposed to play a show that night in Long Beach with Focus. And before the show, um, we were supposed to have a scheduled meeting with um, this guy, Brandon Evil. And so I was like, well, okay. So uh, so I just tried to get through my work shift. And I was like, all right, we're going to go to the show. And um, and uh, met and we played at a small little place. Um, I And we were in this, like, back kitchen area. And he was just like, hey, I, I like you guys, and um, I want to know if uh, – I want to front you the money to record, but not sign us to the label. Hmm. And, and and so we were like, huh, okay, well, let's uh, – what do we want to do? So we all we all met, and we were like, yeah, let's uh, let's go explore that. You know, let, let's go get into the studio. So he fronted us some money, and uh, we uh, went into the uh, green room. Uh, Gene Gene Studio in Huntington Beach, um, and uh, started, you know, day one, and it, uh, and this is when we started recording Silence. 
Started recording Silence day one, and uh, but but weren't signed to the label right away. So I didn't know. We were like, well, maybe we, he just because we were you know a wily bunch, <laughs> um, and we were notorious for being a wily bunch. And um, so I think just getting the band together and everyone there on time to record, like he probably just wanted to see we could do some of the basics. <laughs> <laughs> Like, like not not complicated. <laughs> like Kemi's yeah. like show up with their instruments and be ready to record, you know, and and kind of like not just you know because Unashamed was um, primarily a live band. Like live playing live was 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 it. Like recording was was always a little bit more difficult uh, because we were just a, a live band, um, and so uh, getting a live hardcore band that that really focused on a live show into like some stale studio it's a big transition and so i think there might have been even just doubt if there, that could even happen and so um, at least for us for for our band um <laughs> so i uh, started recording and he was like yeah i want to sign you guys so um went to wahoo's fish tacos and signed our contract and um, then just continued recording and finished the recordings um in uh, three days and just at the green room so you had said earlier that uh, the non-Christian hardcore scene was not uh, welcoming or or kind or whatever too too unashamed and and I would assume focused and and the other bands in that scene. Once you guys were on tooth and nail, did you see any change in that, or was did was it building your own separate scene? Did you see your guy? Did you see yourself as building this other thing that was a safe, I hate to say safe space, but like your own separate space in the hardcore community? At the time, uh, no. And, and, and again, I, I can't speak for the other members of the band. Uh, okay, but for, sure. my, for myself, like, um, I saw this as just a part of the hardcore scene. It had... Okay all of the hardcore ethics involved in and in talking about um, social change and talking about the human condition and talking about truth. And mm-hmm. um, I saw that those were viable things um, of the hardcore scene, especially see, being very solution-driven um, and this being our solution to the condition. Um, there were... There were, uh, yeah, I think as, of course there's going, with uh, God is a polarizing subject, Mm -hmm. Um, Christianity especially, I mean, even the term is a derogatory term, I mean, like little Christ, you know, it it was giving, you know, it was like an insult. Um, Yeah. um, So it's like, you, and, and then... I know um, for myself, it was like, and, you know, again, being from Southern California and and my background, uh, even just personally growing up, um, 
And then, like, being a surfer and, like, riding waves and, like, these big swells that come out of the ocean, it was, like, what was going on was very, like, reminiscent of surfing big waves. You're going to take a pounding at times, but you're also going to have a blast. And so the two things were, were kind of synonymous to me. Um, in my head, um, especially coming from strong, h- hardcore, punk rock, DIY ethics, you didn't really sign to a record label to begin with. I mean, you, yeah. you could, but at the same time, you know it's going to change. You know things are going to change. And, and, and members change, and things just change, you know. Anytime you throw a bunch of, like, money and contracts into something, it's just going to change uh, naturally. Um, um, so uh, so at that time, um, even though in the hardcore scene it did have a polarization, it I think it also challenged some bands to step up and support us because they saw how we were being treated. And if it wasn't, like, physically being, like, head-butted at shows, it was, or, or like, the distribu- the, like, the distribution of um, really, like, profane flyers degrading um, the Bible, God, Christ, or just any religion, um, mm-hmm. that someone go- goes through so much time to, like, spread so much, like, negativity, um, <laughs> uh, all of that... Um, was also a uh, part of I think um you just knew that was going to happen. And so um every show was different um but I think it, I think it did challenge bands a hardcore bands specifically to um maybe re- think about that a little bit and where they stood. And so we did we we did have these bands that became allies and we could play shows with and we felt safe playing with. Um bands like Strife um, Ignite. Um, we play shows with Outspoken. Um, these were more of the West Coast bands, and there were more bands. Those are just kind of the three kind of like ones, um, just kind of off the top of my head. But, but these bands really kind of like stepped up and said, no, we, we, we have your back. And so, um, those shows became, I think, my favorite shows that, that Unashamed would play, um, uh, locally in California, those Southern California shows, because it was pol- I think it was polarizing in the scene, but at the same time, those who are coming from a strong understanding of what punk rock hardcore DIY ethics is, that we were challenging authority. And I know, um, I can't speak for the others, but for myself, um, even before I was in the band, I had negative church experiences and knew that that was an authority that I wanted to challenge as a vocalist. Yeah. So, so it was, there was a duality to it because at at some time, so, you know, maybe like 15% of like shows, you'd get people throwing batteries or corners or, you know, you take cheap shots in the kidneys or, you know, you, you, there is that, that element. It is pretty rough, but that, that was the scene back then. Um, but but at the same time, you know, I can't help uh, to to you know say well some of the things you guys are saying the opposition well some of the things the opposition is saying is correct. 
like about mm-hmm. Christianity or about the church or about you know um, politics or whatever. Um, you, we could actually find a commonality and, and start to talk about those things. And I think that's what one of the things I, I love about the hardcore scene, especially back then, it was just a place you could stand up, say what you believed, and then after the show, you could all go to, like, get some food and talk about it. And that that yeah. was okay. And it was okay to be different. And it was okay to have your slant. It was okay to not be vegan. It was okay to, you know, just be vegetarian, and you know, like, or just whatever, whatever, like, whatever that, that scope and scale is. Here is a place that you could find individual freedom to be yourself and search it out with other people who are on that same path and and united by the same music. Right. Yeah. No, it's always been kind of a weird thing where it's like, you know, people people didn't like shun or like give shelter shit for being Harry Krishna's or uh, Earth Crisis for being vegan preachy right so it is always weird to me uh but it's like every all those bands whether it's straight edge or whatever it was that they had something to a message they're trying to get across right that and and that that's the scene i think a lot of people who criticize that they might not have an understanding of that element about the music is that that's like that's the music <laughs> and mm-hmm. and something that was always um still uh, is confusing to me is that, well, you know, people say Christianity doesn't belong in hardcore or even spirituality doesn't belong in hardcore because it's not just, hardcore is not limited just to like Christianity. We have other, you know, we have other beliefs in it it as well. Um, But it really just goes back for myself to bad brains. It's like Mm -hmm. (laughs) they're, they're, they're interjecting this spirituality and and uh, whether it, it it's not like the Rastafarian you might be like um, you know used to but it's coming from DC and it's just got that um, that vibe to it and so that 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 music and that spirituality within the music um, I thought it was always funny because people still act like well, we were the ones who brought spirituality into hardcore and I'm like oh no 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 it was, you know here long before that um, <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. we, this is this is just our take um, and again you know bands like Focused Outnumbered Bloodshed Unashamed The Crucified they all existed before Tooth and Nail yeah you know like that 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 a lot changed you know, when, when that, but like with anything, it's going to change. And, uh, but back like pre tooth and nail days, I mean, it was just rough. You know I mean? We had, we took a lot of, um, negativity from Revelation Records or New Age Records or Victory Records or whatever records, you know, name it. Um, it, it just, it just didn't seem to fit completely. But at the same time, that was a huge motivator. You know, on, um, one like I know for me in hardcore like uh, I can get real, like like break it down even for myself. Unashamed um, and the things that drove me vocally with that band um, was that I I loved Minor Threat and I you know huge Ian fan like give me anything oh, yeah. give me give me Egg Hunt 
gave me just just gave me anything in any Discord. I'm just gonna devour it. Um, but they always had that song filler. Um, that was you know like um, very anti Bible, very anti Christian, yeah. very like you know you know kind of like um, fu Christians, and so. Yeah listening to that, like, I would even, like, make tapes, and I would just leave that song off it. And I'd just have the other songs on <laughs> That song always, like, just irked me the wrong way. Um, uh, so, being so young, well, F you, Ian. I'm going to, like, sing about, like, Christianity and faith and all of these things because I think it's involved in the very root that he himself comes from with bad brains. <laughs> so, yeah. it's like, we can say what we want, but that, but we can still have a conversation and be cool with each other after the whole thing. Not everyone's, not all, you know, thinking people, not everyone's going to agree on everything, you know, especially artists. Yeah. But, but that was, there was a lot of that and there was that, that feeling of, no, this is what I believe in and this is a place I feel like I can speak about it. And, Hardcore music and punk rock music is is like a torch, you know. It's passed to you, and then you pass it to someone else. But the very underlying, you know, ethics and code are something, you know, that that were very important with giving us boundaries and and direction in the whole thing. I'm gonna I'm gonna jump ahead here. Um, there there's a whole bunch of stuff I could talk to you about, but I'm gonna jump ahead. Um, I believe it was on the old Tooth and Nail webpage in their alumni section uh, about Unashamed. They said you guys uh, broke up after the recording of Reflection because uh, you'd made the perfect record and couldn't do any better, um, which might might just be, maybe it wasn't the Tooth and Nail website, but it was somewhere on the internet. I remember seeing that. Um, but uh, I'm curious if you talk about the, uh, the what... Uh, what led to Unashamed uh, breaking up? Um, yeah, um, sure. Uh, so, um, of course, like, 94, Silence comes out. Um, we uh, we go out to corner. We played a f- uh, 40 Days, 40 Nights tour with Focused, and, and Chatterbox was on half of that tour. Um, we, you know, we get out to Cornerstone, and um, the first time in 1994, we're, we're not scheduled to play. Uh, it was when they had the impromptu stage. You had to put your name in a hat to play. Um, but... Um, uh, basically, we showed up and Brandon hands us silence boxes of silence <laughs> boxes of silence. You know, the CD boxes of them, like CDs and cassette tapes. And this was the first time we had it. And so, like, we didn't have a place to like we uh, we didn't have like we weren't scheduled to play. We didn't have a booth, nothing like that. We were on tour and we were you know living on eight dollars a day. And so the whole goal was to play live and sell these things. So we finally, you know, had the CDs. And so um, Bobby and I ripped the boxes open and we just started going campsite to campsite selling CDs. Just saying, hi, we're the newest band on Tooth and Nail Records. Want to buy it for $10? And they're like, yeah, sure. So we, you know, hit the ground, just our own distribution, campsite to campsite. The festival found out about it. They they got really pissed off because they didn't get a credit out money, <laughs> and we were just like, you know, you didn't give us a booth, so like, we're, we're going to make it happen how we can. Uh, so yeah. that that was always kind of like there's always been kind of like a, a weird thing with that. Um, 
Uh, but this was like the first time for myself being exposed to just this larger, I guess, Christian culture of music. I had, of course, been exposed and see some bands in Southern California, but I wasn't really aware of the scope of like um, uh, nationally or internationally uh, uh, this kind of this thing was. And so, um, um, went on, did our tour, and then um, um, fast forward, we recorded. Uh, uh, well, I guess maybe I shouldn't fast forward. Um, uh, it was at the end of that tour that um, we were heading to our last two shows to the Texas Desert, and um, our car broke down, and um, we couldn't go on with the tour anymore. We were stuck out pretty much in the middle of nowhere in um, West Texas. And um, uh, our drummer, Chris, at the time, he was just like, I'm over it, and just like hitchhiked home. <laughs> he just was like, you know, bye. And so... Uh, well. So he just hitchhiked out, and so it was me and the other couple other guys. We went for a tow truck and the whole thing. And so we got back from that tour, finally got home, had the CDs and everything, and we're just like, all right, well, now we got to, like, kind of find another drummer. And here I go on the drummer hunt again. I'm like, God, I cannot find a drummer. She's <laughs> uh, like, I'm cursed, you know? <laughs> like, he's like, what the hell? Like, me and drummers, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, like... I'm like, all right, well, let's get back. So we get back, we start trying out drummers because, you know, he obviously just can kind of break down a trust um, within the band um, just to be ditched in the desert. So um, uh, we start trying out drummers, tried out a different couple drummers, and then um, right before, uh, yeah, right in between Silence and Reflection, um, uh, Jason Carson uh, would come to shows, and uh, Saved was a band that was playing in it. Of course, they they played, and... um, and, uh, so, yeah, um, everybody was just kind of at that point, you know, kind of knew each other. Um, right out of high school, um, I uh, got a call and was just like, hey, um, Matt Wignall is moving out of the Newman house. Do you want to move in? And I'm like, uh, yeah, sure. So right out of high school, I was in the Newman house. I uh, lived there with Mark Solomon and um, Dave Lortzen and uh, Scott Soweta and all all those guys and lived, lived there. Um, it was wild, great time. Um but you can see that things were really growing, um, especially uh, you know you're you're with all the band members and 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 how they have their whole experience with the label too. And this was all happening when the label was in Irvine, and so it was just things were changing. You know, like uh, people people change, artists change, um, you know, um, money injected into things, and so um, time just goes by. And then uh, we're like, well, we need a drummer. So Jason, we're like, come try out. Um, Jason plays excellent drums we're like do you want to play drums like we just um, from silence we had our drummer chris was like very strong and would hit the drums very hard but in between silence and reflection we wanted to try to progress in where we were at um with how a lot of us were progressing musically a lot of us were already getting out of hardcore going in different directions musically and so, and we had all this opportunity that was kind of at our feet to kind of, well, how can you organize a band together and kind of like make it work for yourself? Um, so we asked Jason to be in the band and uh, got in the band, started just again, continue playing shows, did a tour, like a dead of winter tour, went out in the middle of winter to like Michigan and like all these places in um, negative 20 degree weather because we thought it'd be funny <laughs> to go to places where no bands go at this time of year. At that time of year, like, we're from Southern California, so that, you know, that was a wild one for, like, three weeks, um, and Jason went on that one, uh, that was, like, his first kind of going out, 
Um, and there was four of us. Bobby, our one guitar player, stayed back. So it was uh, me and Dano, our guitar player, Matt Hernandez uh, from the Dingies on bass, and Jason Carson. We all rented a van. My mom threw down a credit card. And we just split. <laughs> like, um, and we just kind of made it up as we went along. And uh, uh, when we got back after that, um, uh, we went in to record Silence. And um, I remember one night I was at a, a Saved show, and I was hanging out back with uh, Jason and Scott Soletta, uh, Brandon, and and then it was just like, well, this, the, the whole thing came up with Saved and changing the name. And then everything, and then Scott Saletta suggested Supertones, and then they were going to say the OC, and I was like, no, don't, don't do that. Because you know, uh, to me, that kind of sounded, you know, I don't know. And so um, so it, it, it became a thing where it was like, okay, we're going to be called the Supertones, um, and uh, Jeff and Dan, do you guys want to play guitar in it? And, well, we were like, um, sure, well, let's give it a shot. And so we were already practicing at Jason's house, um, and that's where he just had like this little room and his parents were really cool with like putting up with us and all of our shenanigans and I'm sure the, the super tone shenanigans. Um, but, uh, but, um, started out, it was me, Dano and, and Jason and Matt Morginski and Tony. Um, and we started playing, but, um, I did three practice. They had two shows booked and we had, after the third practice, I knew it wasn't going to be for me. Um, that that style of music. I'm a really big fan of first generation ska and and Jamaican music, and so I just it wasn't really comfortable uh, with that. Um, I are you could already get this feeling and the that it was going to be huge. I knew I was walking away from opportunity, um, but I had to you know being uh, I guess artistic integrity was and is still important. Um, and so at the time, because we were friends with so many different bands, I think that one time I had five, I was in five different bands, five different projects in like different counties of LA with different members of this band, different members from this band. But the one that, um, uh, you know, just as time went on, it was just, okay, the super tones are just, boop, they're going to like, you know, get big and they're going to go in this direction. Um, Dano, our guitar player, was playing with uh, Ryan Denis in a band called Bend. Um, they were on the first Helpless Amongst Friends. Um, I myself was playing with uh, John Cottrell, um, Jason Fleetwood, um, Sean Stopnick, and Blood uh, um, the guys from Bloodshed. We were all playing in Rainy Days, um, mm-hmm. which is and so Rainy Days was like so we all had like even though we were on the chain, we all had these separate things, and our head was probably in different places artistically at that point, and so. Our band, you know, we were never a huge money maker. It was just basically, a, you know, we were just scrappers, just scrapping by, um, especially, yeah, in that scene. Um, and so uh, um, eventually it just was going to be um, a little bit too much for everyone. Um, and things weren't going to align up. Like, for uh, yeah, so um, it just was time just to stop. I think Focus had just stopped playing at that time. And... Um, you know, I know we were all just getting into different music because there was so much musically that was happening in 1995. I mean, Sunny Day Real Estate was, just, you know, like just yeah, you just just that music changes you. The early emo stuff that changes you. You know, going mm-hmm. to see like Jimmy Eat World open for Sensefield, you know, out Riverside at small places. You know, that that changes you, and so you you. 
you start to become less angry. I know I was as a vocalist. You know, I think reflection hopefully shows I was less angry, and and it was just more of a yeah heartfelt expression. And I think, um, yeah. And so uh, I think we all just had different musical interests that we wanted to pursue. Um, on, on it was nothing personal, at least from my end um, that I can remember. Um, breaking up, it got a little nutty because um, I remember, like, when we said, okay, what shows do we want to do? Um, it was always kind of a split in the band. Um, Danny and Jay, uh, Danny, <laughs> Dano and Jason were uh, um, uh, um, maybe a little bit more on the spiritual side of, like, maybe, like, um, implementing a lot of rules on themselves, like no secular T-shirts. I remember there was a show that we played with POD at Oceanside Pier, and um, I think our show got too. We our set got rowdy, and they, the cops came and shut down the show, which was you know that happened you know more often than not. But I remember mm-hmm. them going out. I remember them going out to a bonfire and like burning all of their secular band T-shirts. And I just remember going like, "Whoa, that's like not me. That's a little too much for me." Like, <laughs> like yeah, I'm not kind of going yeah. that direction. And then. Uh, I think at, at, uh, and so they were calling, like, let's do all these Christian shows. I think Tooth and Nail is going to do their first festival. They want to do these big church shows. And then I was like, yeah, well, whatever. I, I didn't really see church shows. or I didn't really separate it. I just see people. <laughs> I don't know who's mm-hmm. Christian, who's not. I just try to see their people shows. And I don't know if if a show at a church, I don't know if this is a church or just a business. Like, I don't know. <laughs> like, so... So at the same time, it's just like Bobby wanted to do a more hardcore show, like more like Strife and, and you know, that direction. And it, it was really just a big split. And I know it's been um, decades removed. Um, people are still talking about, like, this secular and sacred kind of issue. But, man, that was right. That was the band. That was in the fight in the band, too. And so... Um, so it was it was always just you know every we were all just a group of individuals, and we tried to respect each other as individuals and I think at that point we were all individually just going in different directions. The band briefly reunited. Uh, you and Bobby brought it back with uh, Dom and Matt from Throwdown. Uh, They're kind of 2009, 2010, right? Correct. What uh, what led you to uh, revive it? Well, just based on like uh, the story, yeah, I just said about the band when we stopped playing. Um, we ended up when we stopped playing doing a lot of Christian shows uh, that were more Christian market dominant. These like shows with bigger stages and lights. And as a hardcore band, we were like, turn off these lights and turn on the house lights and let's play on like a three or four foot stage. You know, like the higher up you got on the stage and the more production, more concert like it was as opposed to, as opposed to like a show or the scenes and bands play. Uh, mm-hmm. 
a lot of our shows were in that kind of format. A lot of security guards, a lot of like just, you know, things being sold. And it, it was just starting to go in such a, um, in that way in terms of the market. Uh, so, you know, one day I was just randomly walking across the crosswalk and, and um, I was living in a plane on California uh, outside of Los Angeles. And, um, I happened to randomly see Dave Wynn, who um, was uh, the person, um, he was just there parked, <laughs> waiting for the light to change. And we hadn't seen each other for maybe 12 or 15 years and um, started chatting and then reunited with Bobby, uh, the Crucified. And P- the Crucified was playing a show at a Calvary Chapel church. And the singer, Sonny from POD, was going to be talking to the church. And so... Uh, yeah, I got convinced to go out to that and um, kind of see everyone, saw Bobby, and then, um, you know, just I think people, just seeing people again and just starting to talk, it was just like, hey, do you want to play a show? And just talking with Bobby alone, and then um, realized that he, not, you know, maybe I, I owed him something, too. I, I mean, I think... I know that I owed him something because I never felt satisfied with how it ended with not playing. Like the scenes just became too split. Everything just became too like church or secular or whatever. Um, and so I just wanted to basically play a hardcore show. And so, um, uh, Bobby and I started talking and he just started fishing around the ideas. And then I had, uh, you know, we had remembered uh, Dom and Matt from shows, like, in 95 when they were really young, like, in the front, singing along. Um, but I'd never really, like, met them. I'd never seen them play music. I'd never owned a Throwdown album. Uh, so met them, and, uh, yeah, we started, went to a couple shows together. We went and saw The Chariot play, and I was blown away, like, just floored. And I think, like, seeing them. I, it just was like at that point in my life where I was at, I was like, yeah, I just I, I really want to like just play some music. And so the opportunity came. They were all on board. Um, I had also never played at Chain Reaction when I was in Unashamed, so it was like a personal thing. We we're going to play at the small club. We we're going to play. We were going to headline, but then all the other bands. We only wanted to be current smaller bands that were trying to make it playing in the scene. So we had like mm-hmm. really like kind of separate. Like we really just wanted. We didn't want to like do this, like, big to-do or hurrah at a, you know, festival. Or we just wanted to keep it more to the how the roots were. So that, that was a really fun show. We had talked about, like, recording and got a lot of offers to go all sorts of places and record and everything. But, um, you know, we all have lives. And I think Dom recently had gotten married. And, and then, um, so, yeah, it just, just kind of, like, didn't materialize past, past that. But... It was really fun to play music with those guys and reunite with Bobby and, and feel like I could um, just kind of like settle that um, that side with him. So it even goes back to even how the band broke up. And even all of those years, it just never really sat well with me. And this was a chance I felt like I could, you know, kind of like collect that in a way. Stores my soul. Guys, now past the righteousness. Even though I walk to this valley of death, I will fear no evil. You are with me. 
man we've been we've been talking for a while now and i appreciate it. We've, we yeah you touched on rainy days um but i know i know uh over the years you've done some solo work and uh you had a an acoustic project called open field system uh, open field system was a, a group of friends um again one of the guys i played my first band with his name's robbie uh, he actually um when we went out to cornerstone in 1998 uh, bobby didn't want to go uh, so uh, my friend Robbie uh, came along. So um, <laughs> uh, so uh, <laughs> we <laughs> um, so yeah we were um, I was in college at the time and my friend Robbie was uh, studying um, music theory and uh, my other friend Corey was studying in seminary and um, I was studying my subject history and um, getting a degree in history. Um, and so we were basically just like, hey, we're going to play some music. And it was like, well, what, what do you want to do? And it's like, well, let's take like a really bad idea and like try to make it happen. So we basically took some acoustic guitars and tried to write a bunch of songs to make it work. <laughs> but it was also, it was also that the intention again, um, and the, the intention was never to like try to like get big or anything. The intention was to play like at coffee shop venues, really small venues where you can just like plug in three guitars, play them something artistically happen, and then um, get paid maybe you know hundred bucks, split it between three people. You know you you know play music. You know you made a little gas money, some food money. Um, that was really the extent of the project, but it was you know. Um, from then, uh, so yeah, we started just making up a live set, and then we just started playing around the coffee shops or houses. That's all it was. We were very, very like we don't want to like do this and that. We just want to keep it like on this very um, approachable level. And so, um, so playing on those really small places. Um, so we we wrote a bunch of songs, and then we decided, well, we want to record. And so we uh, piled all the money together ourselves. And we called up Matt Wignall, who, um, ta- who I think he still owns Tacky Land Studio in um, Long Beach, just at his house in his garage. He's got the whole thing rigged out. Um, he had a two-inch reel tape, and we wanted to record it acoustic guitars to analog. Uh, this was in 2003, so it was right when, you know, the Internet and Pro Tools and you know, all of like garage band, those things were just starting in. And so mm-hmm. we thought, let's let's just like throw this on analog and just do a CD and then uh, we can post it online or whatever. And so we, we just did that, did the CD with Matt, went in and recorded with him. That was a blast. Um, uh, Matt's an a interesting character and um, <laughs> he's just uh, always someone who... Uh, you know, I just saw him randomly like a year ago in a really funny situation. It was just random in a very small part of the California coastline in the central part. And that's just how it is with that. And so he's, uh, he was, he's exactly the person we wanted to hook up with and do that uh, record with. And, um, and just, yeah, so from there, so three acoustic guitars. We met some uh, people like a, um, an artist by the name of Tyrone Wells. Um, he kind of took us under his wing and we play a lot of shows with him uh just kind of more like folk kind of shows and i was trying to sing which you know why not (laughs) i thought it was also you know there's always been a hint of humor and satire in all my projects too 
Um, so I don't know if it quite came off across with Unashamed, but hopefully maybe it did, but definitely with Unashamed, Rainy Days and the rest of them. Um, <laughs> uh, but, um, so yeah, and, um, started just playing shows and then we realized, hey, you know, we want to, um, plug in and like get a drummer. And so Robbie knew, um, uh, he had a friend named Randy Baranowski. He played drums for the Unashamed show that we played with Don and Matt. Um, he, we were all, this was all up in Lancaster, uh, out in the uh, desert outside of Los Angeles. Um, got a drummer, and then I just started getting all of these pedals, and then all of these amps, and we created this basically this huge mess of a sound system. And we basically got into the um, experimentation of harnessing feedback in a wooden acoustic guitar bodies. And then controlling it. Wow. And, and that, that was, that's something like with, with going back like to the beginning, just with feedback. Like, again, feedback is, is a key kind of instrument, <laughs> um, especially yeah. like in Fugazi. If you can control that feedback, that to me is a very interesting dynamic in music worth exploring. And so we would do like all these uh, trend pedals and delays and, and that then, we realized we were becoming a different sound, and then that's when we recorded an EP, all digital and Pro Tools, recorded all of ourselves, and that's what uh, then became uh, our band, Tetzel Would Be Proud. And we did a five-song EP. You can hear all that stuff. Uh, it's all online for free if you know, anybody wants to check it out. But um, And it was good. You know, I'd see people here and there, but, you know, um, I've always considered myself independent. I consider myself um, um, independent uh christian uh i don't go to i'm not a member of a church um uh and at that time still uh, with music it kind of felt really nice to be independent of everything else going on especially in the early um uh, all the way through the 2000s um with uh just what came out of you know um a small little thing in you know mid nine uh, mid early 90s is um it was. It felt good to kind of still uh, stay separate from that, and I think that was more artistically. It was. It just felt more artistically pure. Um, that I really. I think um, I kind of like cut the scene off and like split um, for a number of different reasons. But um, I just really was young when I was in Unashamed. I was seventeen to nineteen years old, and so I, I didn't want to always be that guy. I guess in that band, I wanted to try to like establish something more as an artist rather than just try to rehash being an ex-member of something all the time to just yeah. really go go explore like art sound and 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 just you know mainly live sound
Thanks for listening to As the Story Grows. Our theme song was written and composed by the legendary Bob Nana. If you like what you hear, subscribe on iTunes and give the show a rating and review. If you'd like to support the show financially, click on the Patreon link at asthestorygrows.com. If you enjoyed this episode, share it on social media with your friends. Much appreciated, and thanks for listening. I never felt so young and alive as when I'm diving into a tomb. And now I'm learning as I listen along, and the wheels are turning, and I started a song. Show